Let's ask God um, that he would use his word for our good and for his glory. Lord God, as we come to your word in 1 Timothy, please use me in my weakness to speak your truth. Help us to be refreshed and transformed as we meditate on Jesus coming to rescue sinners and convict those who don't yet believe in you and grow those who already do. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever dropped your phone and it's needed rescuing? Well, of course, you've probably dropped your phone, but has it needed to be rescued? One of my site supervisors I used to work with, he once dropped his phone in concrete. It slipped out of his pocket without him noticing while pouring a foundation. And it wasn't until the concrete had started to dry and the phone began to ring in the concrete that he realised his phone had come out of his pocket and there was no chance of rescuing it. It was long gone, trapped, and nothing could be done about it. A friend of mine accidentally dropped their phone into the toilet, and that phone was rescuable, but unfortunately, after retrieving it, it was never the same. Rescuing it didn't redeem it to its prior glory. And I was working with another colleague of mine, and he was preparing the in-ground section of a tower. It was an eight-metre hollow concrete section that's buried in the ground. As he was working at the edge, his phone slipped out of his pocket and landed at the bottom of the eight-metre section. He spent quite a while trying to fish it out with a string and a magnet with no success. This phone also, like the one in concrete, was unretrievable. It couldn't be rescued. These stories of rescuing phones all turned out with less than an ideal result. The phone was either lost completely or it was unrepairable. Maybe you recognise your need to be rescued from sin, but you feel too far gone, kind of like a phone buried in concrete, stuck beyond help or hope of repair. We attempt to rescue a phone because we value it and it's helpful for making phone calls, sending emails, taking pictures, those kinds of things, but maybe you feel like no one would want to rescue you and definitely not God. Well, tonight in 1 Timothy chapter 1, we see a different type of rescue, a rescue that changes history, a rescue that is undeserved but full of love, a rescue that restores and repairs. This is the message of Christ Jesus coming to rescue sinners. I wonder, did he come to rescue you? This is the second sermon of our Christmas series and it looks at the three reasons Jesus came to earth. Last week Chris preached on Jesus coming to reveal God. Tonight we'll be looking at how Jesus came to rescue sinners and next week Chris will speak about how God has come to rule the world. But our focus tonight is on Jesus, and in fact every Sunday our focus is on Jesus. But tonight we see how he came to rescue sinners. First we'll look at Paul's testimony and how he was saved from sin in verses 12 to 14. Second, in verses 15 to 16, we'll see the gospel message that saves sinners 
And thirdly, in verses in verse 17, we see Paul's response of praise and how we should respond too. You might find it helpful to keep your Bible open and follow along as we go through the passage. And to help with what we're reading as we go along, a few words of context. Uh, the book of 1 Timothy is a letter from the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to the young pastor Timothy, who served at the church in Ephesus. So look with me in your Bibles or on the screen to 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 12. Paul begins this section of his letter by joyfully recounting the story of how he was rescued from his terrible life of persecuting Christians and then appointed to be a gospel minister for Christ. This is a brief testimony of what Paul was and how he came to faith and service for Jesus Christ. Paul thanks Jesus Christ, our Lord, considered, um, who considered him trustworthy, appointing him to service. But to understand the reason and the seriousness of his thankfulness, we must first hear what Paul was before all of this. Paul says, I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. And in Acts chapter 8, it recounts how Saul, that's Paul's Hebrew name, began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. It also says that Paul approved of the death of Stephen, the first martyr recorded in the Bible. This is a story of a broken man and he's in great need of rescue. Paul was deliberately seeking to tear apart the work of Jesus Christ in the early church and he was doing this because he was convinced that it was pleasing to God. He thought a false messiah had arrived and he was going to make every effort in his power to bring that movement to the ground. But then in Acts chapter 9 we see Paul's conversion. The moment God opened his eyes in a spiritual sense but strikes him blind physically. Paul was confronted with the reality of his sin as Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Continuing back in 1 Timothy, verse 13, he says, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent person, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of the Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul is thanking God for in verse 12. But do you think Paul deserved mercy after working so hard against God? No, not really. But unfortunately, we don't deserve God's mercy either. As Paul recounts his conversion of this amazing transformation that Jesus initiated on the road to Damascus, we might wonder if we need rescuing from our sin. You might see Paul and conclude that you're not as sinful as him, or maybe you feel even worse than him. God worked powerfully in his life, but would God do such a thing for you? Maybe you say, I'm a good person, I don't speed that often, I give to the poor, I pay my taxes, and I don't lie that much either. 
Maybe you say, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I'm not a sinner anymore. Well, when I was in high school, I thought a little bit like that too. I had always believed in God. I wasn't one of the rebellious kids at school, and I felt like a pretty good person because I was a Christian. I had forgotten that I was a sinner. The truth of the matter is that any disobedience to God is sin. But sin isn't a very popular word. It doesn't feel very good to be called a sinner. And Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means we are all sinners. And no matter how, how hard we try, how many good things we do, or how hard we seek to ignore the fact, we cannot fix our broken relationship with God. We cannot deal with the penalty owed for our sin. Sinners cannot stand in the presence of God. And in Romans 6.23, our fate is made plain. It says, the wages of sin is death. Hearing these passages might make you feel like you can't be rescued. You're too far gone, a bit like one of the phones I mentioned earlier. Well, this brings us to point two, which is the gospel, which is for all sinners. Although Paul was so undeserving, he was shown grace, which leads him to be able to say in verse 15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, Paul isn't just saying, hey, Timothy, here's a little secret. No, he's saying, Timothy, listen carefully. I'm about to tell you something very important, something that is completely reliable and that you ought to accept fully. And I'm sure Paul would say a similar thing to us today. So if there's one sentence you're going to remember from tonight, it's this trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We all deserve death for our sins, but this is the problem that Jesus came to fix. And this awesome news is what we're focusing on tonight in 1 Timothy. We know that we need saving from the consequences of our sin, but how does Jesus accomplish that? Being God in the flesh, Jesus lived a blameless life. And we can't do that. He was perfect and without the stain of sin. He willingly died on the cross, satisfying the punishment due for our sin. And after taking our sin to the grave, God raised him up on the third day, conquering death once for all. Romans 10 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. This is one of the three reasons that Jesus came to earth in this mini-series. He came to save those who believe in him for the forgiveness of sins. His mission is even declared in his name. Matthew 1.21 says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, 
and it means the Lord saves. Last week we saw how Jesus came into the world to reveal God in a fuller way than ever before, and now we also see that God made a way for sinners to receive forgiveness. The whole world was lost without hope because of the consequences of sin, but God, in his great mercy, sent Jesus to save us. Many of you are already Christians and know these truths well, and praise God for that. On the other hand, you may be considering what we've looked at and wondering if you can be rescued from your sin. You might look at the testimony of Paul in verses 12 to 14 and see a man that did some pretty bad things, but it says he acted out of ignorance and unbelief. He was spiritually blind to the truth of the gospel. He didn't know any better, but thought he was doing an honourable thing. You look at Paul and then you look at yourself and remember all the things that you've done deliberately, even though you knew that they were wrong. You sought your own desires and disobeyed the way God commands us to live. Could you possibly be forgiven? At the end of verse 15, Paul adds a brief personal reflection. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But surely Paul wasn't claiming to be the worst sinner that had ever existed. No, he's, humbled, he's been humbled and realises his desperate need for salvation. Follow in verse 16. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul is an example for us, not of the worst sinner to ever receive salvation. He's an example of someone whose eyes have been opened to the sinful state he was living in and was deeply convicted of his need for rescue. This humbled him as he shamefully declared himself to be the worst of sinners. But don't miss the smaller details. Paul says, of whom I am the worst. He didn't say I was the worst. He still is. Being saved from the consequences of sin doesn't stop us from sinning. Just like earlier, I was talking about how I had forgotten I was a sinner in high school. I had forgotten the daily need that every Christian has, the need for mercy and forgiveness of sins. Paul's reflection is also similar to the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee tells God how good he is and he lists off all the good things that he's done. But on the other hand, the tax collector in humility beats his breast and says the simple words, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But a literal translation of this is God, have mercy on me, the sinner. He has the same perspective as Paul as he sees the great gulf that his sin has created between him and God and his inability to do anything about it. All he can do is cry out and seek God's mercy. Gladly, God has had great mercy on us. Verse 16 says that Paul received mercy as an example that displays Christ's immense patience. So even when you know that you have turned from God, 
and you have rejected his way of life, he is patient. And when we realise our sinful state and seek forgiveness and repentance, he welcomes us into his family. Jesus says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's only 20 sleeps until Christmas. I can't believe it. And this is the time of year that Jesus' arrival should be at the forefront of our minds. If you're not yet a Christian, though, are you ready for Christmas time? Are you ready for the celebration when Jesus came into the world to save sinners? When people talk about being ready for Christmas, they're usually talking about having the family gatherings organised, the Christmas trees being put up, all the presents have been purchased and wrapped. But all this busyness, which is often called silly season, completely misses the point of Christmas. So how should you prepare for Christmas? It starts all in the word, Christ Mass. It should be all about Jesus Christ. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, use this time to investigate the Christmas story and the life and death of Jesus. Discover the significance of Christmas, that it, of how significant it is for the whole world and also can be for you. It should be a time where you ask yourself, if Jesus came to save sinners, what might be stopping me from calling on the name of the Lord and being saved? Paul saw himself as the worst of sinners, but Jesus mercifully saved him, making an example for all who will believe. Holiday celebrations, they come and go, they're celebrated and then forgotten, but Christmas has been celebrated for 2,000 years, and the message it celebrates is just as true as it was at the first Christmas. So this Christmas set aside aside time to consider the true meaning reason for the season. Consider your lostness in sin, but then remember the incomprehensible gift of life offered through Jesus. Jesus concluded his parable of the lost sheep by saying, I tell you that in the same way there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Paul also says, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2 that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And I read earlier in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death, but the passage doesn't stop there. It goes on and says, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christmas is an awesome gift from God and it's for all of us. Christmas time is all about the message of the gospel, which is good news. And such good news prompted a joyous response from Paul. Point three, Paul's response of praise. In verse 17, Paul says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul began this part of his letter in verse 12 with thanksgiving to Christ Jesus and he now ends with this packed statement of praise to God reflecting on his character and being. Paul reflects and then worships God in praise. 
God is the eternal king, uh, the king eternal, he says. All other kings will rise and fall. Dynasties only last for a time, but not God's reign. He is the king of the ages. God is immortal. He will never die or get old and become weary. He is invisible. No one has ever seen him. We see his glory in creation. Moses saw the glory of God, but not God himself. And in Jesus, the apostles saw the image of the invisible God. He is the only God. Man has made gods um, gods with our hands and our imaginations, but the God of heaven and earth is the only true God. Jeremiah says, There is no one like you, O Lord. These divine attributes of God remind us that he deserves honour and glory forever and ever. And Paul says, Amen, truly, may it be so. This doxology is a good and right response when receiving and remembering the blessing of the gospel that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So for those of you who have already put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Christmas season is just as important for you. We ought to celebrate and praise God for this blessing, just like Paul does in 1 Timothy. It's a time to share of this joy with friends and family and to speak of the good news of Jesus. It's a, wor- it's a message worth sharing. When we sing Christmas carols and songs, sing with joy and gratitude. Don't become complacent just letting these truths wash over you without even stopping to reflect. Praise God and thank him for all that he has done. So are you ready for Christmas? For the Christian, this is a time to intentionally dwell and meditate on the meaning of Christmas, to remember our state of despair before Jesus saved us, and to cherish this gift. I know from my own experience it's challenging to do this, Work can get really busy at this time of year, and you might be organising a holiday. But this year, on top of that, we're also busy catching up with family and friends that we haven't seen during lockdown. These are good things, but are you busying yourself with too many activities that you don't commit the time to worship God and thank him for his many blessings? Have you planned to read again of the birth of Jesus in the Gospels? When work is busy, are you still looking for opportunities to share of the joy you have in this season? When your colleague at work or your friend at uni asks you what you're doing this Christmas, you could say something like, I'm celebrating the arrival of Jesus to save sinners, sinners like me. You can share of the special meaning Christmas has for you. 1 Peter 3 verse 15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So when they ask you about your hope and your joy, you'll be able to give them an answer happily. 
We should intentionally prepare our hearts and minds for this season as we remember the significance of Jesus' arrival to earth. This is a time where both Christians and those who are not yet Christian, in other words, everyone, ought to reflect on the true meaning of Christmas. This Christmas season, remember what Paul says in 1 Timothy. Firstly, he has shared his story of saving grace that he has experienced in his life. When we meet together with Christians, isn't it encouraging to hear of someone of how they came to faith and were saved from the debt of their sin? Just as Paul shared, we should share our testimonies with others more often. It serves as an encouragement to Christians and it's also a witness to those who have not yet come to faith. Secondly, remember the trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Reflect on this good news. And don't forget to respond to such good news, whether it be with thanks and praise or time privately remembering the Saviour's work in your life. Maybe for you, you can celebrate Christmas for the first time knowing that Jesus came to rescue you. Are you ready for Christmas? That is, to celebrate the true meaning of Jesus' arrival to earth. Let's pray that we won't waste this Christmas, but that we would draw close to God as we celebrate his son Jesus. Let's pray. God of all ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, we ask that you would use this Christmas season to renew our hearts and our minds with an awe and a joy for the message of the gospel. Please grant faith and repentance to those who do not yet know you for themselves and know that they would come to know the rescue of Jesus' death on the cross. We ask these things so that you may receive honour and glory forever and ever. Amen.